is a privilege to be here with you this morning. Abundant life, I think, is the name of your church. And uh, I hope you don't mind if I don't use your podium. It's a nice podium. Uh, but I often prefer to just kind of move around when I talk. Yeah. Um, how old is the church here? Somebody tell me. How, how long have you been? Two years, June. Two years? Okay. As a congregation. Obviously, the building's been here for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's always exciting to me to see new churches start and develop. And, and yeah, just a, a, a good mix of people here, and it's exciting. So, um, are you, do you have my, my new letter? Is that, oh, there we go. I think most of you know this song. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its work. Before we sing that, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, Yvonne and I. I counted the privilege to be connected with her. Uh, eight weeks ago yesterday was our wedding. And most of you know this story, some of our story anyways. And certainly identify with what uh, Aaron was talking about this morning where sometimes circumstances of life <coughs> hit us in difficult ways. And uh, yeah, so eight, a little over eight years ago I lost my wife in a car accident in Los Angeles. Uh, by the way, I'm in Los Angeles, I do consider Los Angeles home. And four years ago, Yvonne lost her husband. And about a year ago, I began to pray about Yvonne. And uh, eventually the Lord led us together. Last September, we started a courtship relationship. And then eight weeks ago, as I said, we got married. And so... Whenever I hear that name, whenever I hear the name of Yvonne, even if, it, even if someone's referring to some other Yvonne, when I hear that name, my heart does a little extra pitter-patter, and I love the name of Yvonne. And especially as I learn to know her, the more I learn to know her, the more I love the name. But how much more so it is with the name of Jesus. And that's why the, the hymn writer that wrote the song many years ago talked about the name of Jesus being a name that he loves to hear. Do you, are you familiar with this? It's probably in your hymn book somewhere. There is a name I love to hear I love to sing its word It sounds like music in my ear The sweetest name on earth Oh, how I love Jesus Oh, how I love Jesus Oh, how I love Jesus Because He 
Someone has said there are two words. There's the inner word and the outer word. The outer word is the Bible, the black and white pages of Scripture. And the inner word is what? The Holy Spirit. Close. What it says, the word. Close. This, this isn't a trick question. Jesus, the word. Jesus, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the inner word. And we discover the inner word by opening the outer word. 
And so really, yeah, the real value of the outer word, the real value of the Bible is Jesus, to know him. So that uh, brings us to another little song I'd like to teach you, and I think your children will love this song. It's just a simple little song about saying yes to God. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, yes, yes. Do you like that? Children like that song? Yeah, let's sing it again. We'll sing a little faster this time. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, yes, yes. Stand with me. Do the motions with me. When we say yes, Lord, make a salute to the Lord, okay? I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, yes, yes. You can sit down. There's actually a verse in the Bible that that song comes from. In Psalms, twice it says, The fool hath said in his heart, What? There is no God. In the Hebrew, I'm told, and I don't know Hebrew myself, but I'm told by those that do, that a more literal translation of that would be, The fool hath said in his heart, No, God. Well, we don't want to be fools. We want to be wise people. And so we say yes to God. The fool has said no God. The wise person says yes to God. Let's sing it one more time. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say saying yes to God. You know, we can develop all these plans to get people saved, and we can have the Romans rolled and all of this. We can talk about a sawdust trail or whatever. But really, being a Christian is all about that. Saying yes to God. When, when Jesus speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you simply say yes. That's how you get saved. That's how you stay saved. That's how you grow in Christ is by keeping on saying yes to Okay, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about 
the headship veiling, which many of you I see this morning are wearing some kind of a veiling. Not all Christians do, but many do, and I appreciate it when they do. So the first few verses talk about that, and then the last part of chapter 11 speaks about communion. But in between those two important passages are these verses, verses 17 to 22. And we're going to zoom in particularly on verse 19 of these verses. And I call this the most heretical verse in the Bible. Now, heresy is kind of a bad word, right? So how can there be a heretical verse in the Bible? Well, let's read it. Whoops. Uh, we seem to be stuck. I'm not sure why it's stuck. Okay, we're in the King James Version. Okay, verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, Paul says, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it, he says. And then verse 19, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved might be made manifest among you. Verse 20. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before the other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So that's the context. Those are the few verses in between the teaching on the headship bailing and communion. What does this mean? A number of years ago, uh, when we still lived in Minnesota, we've been in Los Angeles now for 13 years, but before that I pastored a church in northern Minnesota and one of our Overseers, we had a, we didn't at that point belong to a conference like the DNA, we were just kind of independent. And, but we had an overse oversight committee, and one of those brothers, Val Yoder, some of you may know him, um, he said to me, he said, Have you ever read that verse? This verse 19 out of 1 Corinthians 11. What does that mean? And so that began a process for me of searching God's Word to see what, what this verse might mean. And, and in order to understand a, a Bible verse, you should always look at it in the context, and so that's why I wanted to read the whole thing here, to give you a bit of context. So, let's get into it here. There are three questions that I think we need to ask ourselves and to answer, to, to find answers for whenever we bump into a scripture that we don't understand. And so let's look at what these are. The first one, I have kind of a jumpy system here. Not sure why. Here we go. 
What does it actually say? Okay, that's the first question. What does it actually say? Second question, what does it mean? Obviously, we want to know that. And then the third question is, what does it mean to us? No sense of reading God's word if we don't apply it to us, to ourselves. So let's consider the first question. What does it actually say? Well, here's what it says, and I'm going to read it in several other translations. Verse 19, we already read it in the King James here. Um, look at a number of the words here in King James, the first one we have underlined there, heresies, or other translations call it factions, um, or differences, and, and some actually call it divisions, some translations also call it divisions. So reading it in the NASB, New American Standard Bible, for there must also be factions among you. Isn't that something? <coughs> Think about that. This is Paul writing to the church. And I'm sure you were looking forward to having factions here, right? Or pastor. You were looking forward to having factions here at Abundant Life, right? For differences, divisions, heresies, okay? You're looking forward to that. Paul says, it must needs be, for there must also be factions. No doubt there have to be differences among you. What does that mean? Well, it goes on to say, in order that those who are approved may have become evidence. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. <coughs> ah, Suddenly it's beginning to make sense. So maybe the reason we have to have some of these differences is ultimately so we can know who is approved by God. Right? Let's look. Let's look at the definition of heresy, the first word. These three words we're going to try to define. Heresies, approved, and manifest. Definition of heresy. Heresy, if you look it up, I've, I've used the Strong's Concordance, Vines, New Testament, Dictionary, and, uh, and then yeah, just Webster's Dictionary as well. But heresy means a choice or a party. Are you familiar with parties? You know, in politics we have parties. We have the Democrats and we have the Republicans. What else? Libertarians. There's even a Communist Party, I think. Hopefully it's not growing too much. Um, party. That's what heresy means. Parties. Okay? Or disunion. Disunion. Heresy. Choice. You can't be both a Democrat and a Republican. You have to make a choice. Okay? Heresy. Here's the other, another piece of the definition. Half-truth. Heresy actually, most of us think of heresy as being untruth. If something's heretical, that means it's not true, right? Well, that's partly true. Heresy actually means half-truth. So it's heresy cut away from the whole truth. Truth taken in isolation. Truth sundered from counter-truth. 
So let's take a couple, just for, for example, uh, the, uh, the doctrine of salvation. You know, we're saved by grace through faith, right? But then James comes along and says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, okay? Now, we don't work our way to salvation, but if all we say is that God saves us, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, and that he just pulls us into heaven kicking and screaming, we've only got half the truth. We need to have the whole truth. We need to say yes to God. So he can save us, but we need to respond to him. Okay, That's responsibility. Responsibility. So that's an example. Heresy is... So if you just say half the truth, another one, one that Mennonites and Amish really like are to be separate from the world. Okay? So to be separate from the world. That's half the truth. What's the other half of it? We're also to be salt to the earth. Well, how can you be salt to the earth if you're separate? So we need to hold both truths together. So truth taken in isolation or truth centered from counter-truth produces heresy. Another, and I like this piece of the definition as well, heresy is self-willed opinion which is substituted for submission to the power of truth. Self-willed opinion. And we take that rather than submission to the power of truth. Another piece of the definition of heresy. Finally, heresy is outcomes arising from a diversity of opinions, frequently the results of personal preference or advantage. Huh. What do we want the Bible to say? as compared to just submission to the power of truth. Just let the Bible say what it says. So that's what heresy is. Now let's look at approved. Acceptable is another word for approved. Tried. Uh, James says that when he is tried, he shall come forth as gold. So that's approved. When he is tried, some, something's tested, it's tried comes through his goal. That's approved. Notice it says approved. So they which are approved may be manifest. Obviously it's a given that we're looking for God's approval. Not man's approval, but God's approval. We'll look at these three verses together here. Romans 16.10, salute Apelles, approved in Christ, salute them which are of Aristopolis household. 2 Corinthians 10, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And then, finally, one that we've all memorized, I'm sure, sometime in life, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's what approved means. And we're not talking about me approving. Of course, we approve of ourselves. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. We don't want to walk around through life second-guessing ourselves all the time. We need to know 
what you think and why you think and believe what you do, but that's not the ultimate approval. Nor is it your approval of me or my approval of you. But in a, in a healthy context, that's good too. I love it when my wife approves of me. And that's assuming that I've married a good woman. And if you make a good choice there, then, then her approval is good, okay? So it's not that those things don't matter, but ultimately we're looking for God's approval. Study to show yourself approved unto God. So why are heresies important? Paul says, so that they which are approved by God will be made manifest. And that's the next word we want to look at. Manifest. Shining, apparent, public, external, open, that's Strong's. Vine says, open to sight, visible, shining. So this is something that's obvious. So that, that would be a good way to translate that word, obvious. So they which are approved may be made obvious. Okay. So why is it that we need to have some, some discussions and some differences and some uh, even divisions sometimes so that we can all seek for God's approval and that it can be obvious who has God's approval. So that's what we should all strive for. Now we want to make some applications. What does it mean? Well, obviously the Corinthian believers were coming together. Paul said that you were coming together there, but he had a concern. They were coming together only to be divided. So what's the point of coming together if you're just going to start highlighting your differences? Okay. I'm not sure why this is so animated here. This, I think it's my quicker cooperating with your system. They were self-indulgent. Obviously, they were coming together. It says that some brought meals with them as though they were there for a big feast. And then the poor that couldn't afford to bring lots of food were, were suffering. They were indulging themselves. That's a problem. Paul is highlighting that. The poor were vulnerable. The vulnerable were, were being neglected. So, if people come together, I tell you, I promise you, if you came to church here this morning and you were all about you, you're going to have problems. If you're self-indulgent, if this is about you, if church is about you, you're self-indulgent, the poor are going to be neglected. People that really know, need the Lord, people that really need you as their friend, as their community participant. If this is all about you, the, the poor are going to be neglected. The way they were doing things was not good, Paul says. Better off not to do it. Okay? So, we need to be conscious about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because if it's not good, especially if the scriptures or Paul says what we're doing is not good, better off not to do it. 
Heresies, issues, that's another word we could use, issues, whatever. You know, I could ask you, what have been your issues? You've been here together two years, right? What have been some issues? Should we buy this building? Did you buy it or are you renting it? You bought it. Should we buy a building or should we rent a building? You know, should you lower the ceiling or should you keep the old ornate rafters exposed? By the way, who did you vote for? You know, issues. It wouldn't take long for a group to discover what the issues might be. Those issues reveal the heart, the heart condition. Whether it's to lower or not to lower the ceiling, to vote Democrat or to vote Republican, whatever. It's amazing the issues that divide churches sometimes. Get our focus on. Number six, there will always be those who will be approved by God. So that, that's a comfort, that's an encouragement to know. When Paul says, so that they which are uh, approved may be made manifest, that's, that's a, an assurance that there are those who are going to be approved by God. And I'm sure you've already uh, recognized that in your midst. You recognize maturity, you recognize the life of Christ. I'm sure that's why you're here, it's because you sense. God was up to something in that abundant life, and so I want to be a part of that. There are those who will be approved, and those who are approved will ultimately be made known, will ultimately be manifest. So that's an encouragement. If you think you're being neglected or overlooked or misunderstood, just continue to seek to be approved by God. Keep on being faithful. Keep on saying yes to God. Keep on doing the right thing. Ultimately, those who are approved will be made manifest. Someday, Jesus is going to return, and then it's going to be very obvious. But even in this life, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you'll be reassured that God honors those who honor Him. Okay, so this is what it means. What does it mean to us? We must be careful about driving wedges and highlighting differences. Okay? So we need to be careful about that. Now it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that, that nothing matters. I'm not saying that, that we're, we should just be wet noodles and nobody have an opinion about anything. That's not what I'm saying. Let's be careful. You know, I'm wearing a sweater. I wondered, what should I wear today? Should I wear, I asked Yvonne, should I wear a suit or what should I wear? And she said, I don't think they wear suits then. So, <laughs> I'll just wear a sweater, okay? But some of you don't even have a sweater. There's a suit. Now, hey, why are you wearing a suit? <laughs> you know, let, let's be careful about what we make issues of, okay? Be careful about highlighting differences. And we, we must be careful of carnal motivations or self-willed opinions that the Greek dictionary said. Self-willed opinions. We need to be careful about that. Why, why do I do what I do? You know, I think my intention, I wanted to fit in. 
I think it's good to fit in sometimes. You know, I was coming to this church, so I wanted to fit in. What if I had to come in with a cowboy hat on or something? It may have been okay, but I didn't know. I wanted to fit in. So Alvin would have sat front seat, I think. But if if my if my motives are carnal and I came in Maybe I wore a suit. Maybe I had a tuxedo, you know, and I marched in the aisle and strutted around here in my tuxedo. This is the way you go to church. You honor the Lord by wearing your tuxedo. Whatever. Carnal. Beware of carnal. Why do I do what I do? Many times, the why of something is more important than the what. It's even more important than what you do or what you wear is why. Why do you wear what you wear? Why do you do what you do? In Christ, we are all equal. There really are no differences in Christ. We are talked about that in Sunday school lesson. discussion. We're one in Christ. Black, white, male, female, rich, poor, doesn't matter. We're one in Ground at the cross is, is level. Amen. We all come to the same way. And we all go out the same way. We all go back to the same dust. Remember that just because this is the way it's always been doesn't necessarily make it right. Now, just because this is the way it's always been doesn't make it wrong either. But that's not really the question. In fact, my next point here, if I can get to it. Again, check our hearts. What is motivating us? Why is it that I prefer what I prefer? something and it's wrong and we look in God's word and it's clearly wrong and we just keep on doing it because this is the way we've always done it. The longer you do it that way the more wrong it becomes. So we always want to be ready to say yes to God and seek his approval and all these other things are down a ways from that priority. Know that the truth will stand. The truth is the truth. God's truth is His truth. It will stand. And even if we pass away before we, it becomes obvious to us that the truth will stand, that doesn't change the truth. Sometimes, I don't know, you hear of prominent Bible teachers who sin or something and they come out of repute with God and with the church and with society in general, and 
So then people say, well, what do I do with his books? You know, I bought one of his books, or I used to listen to him on the television all the time. What do, how do I? Well, don't worry about that. Because if he was preaching the truth, you can count on it, the truth will stand. It doesn't matter what happens to the preacher. You know, if something happens to me and, you know, I go off the rails, that's irrelevant. I mean, it's not. I should be careful. But the truth is the truth. The truth will stand. We don't need to apologize for having books written by this Christian teacher, whatever. If we've learned from him and he's been teaching the truth, that's good. Praise God. Even if he was teaching it in contention. God's word is God's word. David Bersol once wrote a book called Will the Real Heretics Please Stand Up? Have you read that book? Anybody here read that book? Talking about history, the, the historical church. Will the real heretics please stand up is the question. Well, the problem is they never do. Heretics never do that. They never expose themselves. They never stand up and say, hey, I'm a heretic. Those who are approved will be made manifest. And I just trust that all of us will see God's approval. And let's sing this song one more time, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Let's sing it again very solemnly, very slowly. And then we'll sing it through another time more excitedly because it's exciting to say yes to God. But it's also very serious, so let's sing slowly again. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Lord. I say heard us sing this several times this morning. You know my heart. You know the heart of each one here. Lord, I just pray that you give us the grace, the capacity to say yes to you, Lord. Sometimes it feels like we're signing our name at the bottom of a blank piece of paper. And we're letting you fill it in. We wouldn't do that to any person but Lord, we will do that for you because we trust you. We know that however you fill in the blank page of our life will be the best way. It means losing my wife after 28 years and 17 days of marriage. It means losing my husband before we even celebrate our first anniversary. We trust you. And we know that we can say yes to you. And so we say yes. But Lord, we also know that it's exciting to say yes to you. Because your ways are always right. You see everything. We, we only see little bits and pieces. We can see a certain way down the road. We can look back. 
It's exciting to say yes to you, to be on your side, and to be with you, to walk with you, and to go where you want us to go and follow you where you need us. And so we say, I'm very excited when we say yes to you. Let's stand together and sing. And very excited when yes to God. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, yes, yes. I say yes, Lord. I say yes.